This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. As 2019 comes to a close, we're proud to be celebrating five years and more than 300 episodes of Fashion Is Your Business. In 2020, we'll have many all-new exciting episodes that offer everything you've loved about the show over the years. Some conversations are timeless, though, and as relevant today as they were when they first occurred. Over the next few weeks, we'll continue to be giving you a chance to listen again, or maybe the first time, to some of the standout, timeless conversations we've had over the last five years. One of these, from February 2017, is an amazing, inspiring, and memorable fireside chat in front of a live audience with FUBU founder, Shark Tank panelist, investor, author, motivational speaker, and iconic entrepreneur, Damon John. Enjoy the show. You're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Recorded on location. This edition of Fashion Is Your Business Live is made possible thanks to the sponsorship of Diego, Miller Coors, Barterhouse, and M2M. Welcome to a special edition of Fashion Is Your Business Live. It's live because we are recording in front of some 200 people who are here with us for this conversation coming in from as far as Boston and Philadelphia. Let's say hello. Hey! Very nice. Thank you very much. We are recording on location from Blueprint & Co., which is a remarkable new co-working space in New York City you'll hear all about in this interview. But wait, there's much more because our guest is a businessman who founded the very successful hip-hop apparel company, FUBU. He is a successful investor. Successful is an understatement. And of course, he is widely known as one of the stars of the popular television show Shark Tank. He's a best-selling author of The Power of Broke and a very in-demand motivational speaker. He was also named by President Obama as a presidential ambassador for global entrepreneurship. And now he's launched this high-end co-working space, Blueprint & Co. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Damon John. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Today's show will have a different format than our regular shows, more of a fireside chat between Damon and our own Fashion Is Your Business host, Pavan Ball, about Damon's journey as an entrepreneur and his path forward from here. Are you ready to get started? All right, because the show starts right now. Hey, I'm Damon John, founder of FUBU, uh, and a panelist on Shark Tank. And what I love about fashion, it's, a, it's every person's individual interpretation of who they are. They can actually, uh, without having to physically state something, be seen as somebody uh, due to the way that they, they put this artistic expression of clothing together. Welcome to Fashion Is Your Business. Welcome to the show, everybody. It is just a thrill to have you guys here. 
And uh, my name is Mark Rago. I'm one of the hosts of Fashion Is Your Business, but I'm going to take a step back from my colleague and co-host and friend, Mr. Pavan Ball. Hey, what's going on, guys? And of course, a big, big welcome again to Mr. Damon John. Welcome to the show, Damon. We're very Thank happy you. to have you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being in my new home. All right. Since it's a new home, a couple pieces of housekeeping. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of reminders as far as listening to the show. You can follow us on social media at Fashion Biz Show, Fashion B I Z Show. You can also check out our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and our very own website, fashionisyourbusiness.com. And uh, this is a production of the Mouth Media Network. We have a whole bunch of new shows we're about to launch uh, in beauty and travel and fitness and material sciences and data and music and a whole bunch of great verticals. Did I miss any? That's pretty good. So uh, listen and pay attention. Uh, we're going to be communicating it widely, and you're going to have a lot of great shows to listen to very shortly. You can check them all out at mouthmedianetwork.com. Okay. Pavan, Damon, let's begin. First and foremost, thank you so much for being on the show. I think, thank you, uh, Cherie, I think Cherie's around. I met, uh, I think I started pestering her about a year and a half. There's a, there's a hand in the back. I think I started pestering her about a year. <laughs> To, to have this opportunity. So we are we are very fortunate and happy to, to have you. Well, thank us. you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So the uh, just to kind of level set over here, we're going to have this in three segments. Uh, the first is going to be his journey, uh, Damon's journey, talking about that leading up to this point. Then we're going to have a re- reflection on that journey, uh, some learning points that you can take from that. And then the third section will be uh, the future and moving forward. Okay. Uh, you know what? I actually got to have to acknowledge my sponsors. First of all, yeah, yeah. All right. Make sure that we give love to everybody who's getting us, <laughs> getting us comfortable. Right. I, I don't think Mark and Rob did it for us. So now, <laughs> of course, Barter House is supplying the wine. Um, thank you, Open Source Fashion. Diageo is uh, making sure that we all feel good. Miller as well is is, is here, um, and they always want you to make sure that you drink responsibly. Make sure. Uh, Uber, take a train, walk. Uh, Danny, uh, Music to the Max is my actual, I know this sounds crazy, but he's my DJ. <laughs> um, you know, if anybody, has anybody ever seen one of my keynotes at all? Nobody. Oh, good. That's great. <laughs> he actually scores my keynotes, so Danny is really great. Um, and I think that's it, right? So we've covered everybody. Let's hop into all right. it. Well, and got- by the way, oh, sorry. If you haven't seen the space already, it's blueprintandco.com. And then afterwards, I think we can allow people up, maybe five or ten people uh, per trip up to the roof, which has a beautiful, beautiful view of the the city. It'll be like a Six Flags line to get over there. (laughs) Believe me, everyone needs to check out that view. You will want to take a selfie looking at the Empire State Building. (laughs) For sure. For sure. All right, so I'm going to take it way back. We're going to start um, selling hats in Hollis, Queens, or in Jamaica Ave, basically. So... um, you essentially started off um, this foray or voyage into fashion by making your own hats, going out to Jamaica Ave, uh, very familiar with the area, uh, outside the Coliseum, specifically you were quoted being, um, and selling hats for like $10 a pop. Now I'm curious, um, did you, going into that original kind of escapade into fashion or selling things, were you doing this to start a business or was that to make a buck at the time? Well, um, 
My foray into fashion first started, you know, uh, being a young kid uh, who loved hip hop from New York City, who like who liked to break dance and and would spend a Friday night. And I don't know if you how many people in here remember uh, these times when you would not be able to go out on Friday night. You listen to Mr. Magic and you would paint your pumas a whole bunch of different colors as many times as you can. And you would take these little thin laces and iron them as much as you can and make them fat laces and and put a put go to the you know. My mother taught me how to sew by putting straight creases in my pants because I wanted to always tailor my pants down to to the ankle so they wouldn't get caught in my bike and so I could break dance with them. And that became a real love and passion. It was a culture of hip-hop that was re- really, like, it was really a, a great time. I forgot all about those days and those times as I grew up. And and then there came a resurgence of, in my life, of, of fashion that was now being kind of consumed by these consumers uh, of ready-to-wear fashion. No longer did we have to take Lees and Levi's and alter them. They were bomber jackets and eight-ball jackets and all these things that were being marketed to us, uh, first down and things like that. And I started to hear these rumors that you know, these people did not respect or value who we were as a, a culture. Because at that time, there wasn't social media. And whether we wanted to accept it or not, hip-hop was social media. This was the first time that I would be able to hear the plight and the troubles and the love and the passion that somebody in the streets of Compton had or somebody in the streets of Brazil had because no longer did you have to be able to play an instrument or harmonize. You can actually go onto a record and or tape at that time and you could you can vocalize your love and hopes and dreams and passions. It came with a way to live, right? And, and a way to, you know, it wasn't just something to listen to, it was a way to live. So then I decided to create a company called Fubal. It's for us, by us. And the For Us Bias was often, would often later on be interpreted as only for a color. But I didn't do that because of a color, because the real day that I decided to create FUBU was when I read in the, in the newspaper that Timberland said, we don't make our boots for drug dealers. And at that time, I was a hardworking man in Red Lobster. And if you look at that time when, if you make technically the best boot in the world, then I always say that, you know, how often were they really selling a new pair of Timberland to a current customer? They were selling it to them once every two years. But because of my market, who I love so much, we adopted Timberland like the kids buy Jordans these days. I was buying two pair of Timberland a month. And you call me a drug dealer. So I decided to go out and create these hats because I started to see the, I, I remember it clearly, it was 5'5 five, five Soul. The hat was mm-hmm. on a De La Soul video. And I remember going, that's not a major company. Who did that? And I remember trying that to find that hat. Soul? It was Triple Five yeah, Soul. Yeah, yeah. It was a uh, what's her name? What was her name, Jeff? Carla, 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 Carmen. And I remember trying to find it, find that hat in Queens. I could not find it anywhere in Queens. By the way, Jeff Tweedy from Sean John, one of my dear buddies right here. Um, I don't know what other companies you saw. Jeff Twism before that, and a bunch of other ones. This this is all fashion history right here. But um, anyway, I couldn't find anywhere in Queens. I go and find Uptown Manhattan. I find it. I buy the hat. It's $20. I come home and show my hat, my mother the hat. I, I joke by saying, Ma, the hat was 20 the gas was 6 and the tolls were $150. <laughs> <laughs> my mother said, I'm going to save you money. Take two 20s. You go to the store, buy, buy fabric. I'm going to show you how to sew hats like that. I go to the store. I buy $40 worth of fabric, but I'm not thinking. I buy the same exact roll. It looks like a, a, a candy cane stripe roll, so... Now I sew all these hats, and I only have one head. <laughs> so what do I do, you know? Um, 
And it's like yesterday. It was Good Friday, 1989, 37 degrees outside, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I stood outside at the Coliseum Mall that one day. And that one day I sold about $800 worth of hats in about an hour, hour and a half. That's like 80 hats at 10 bucks a pop. Yeah. And by That's the way, right next to me was Shabazz Brothers. They was trying to sell hats at the same exact time right next to me. So think about it. That was probably about $1,500 worth of money. That area was known for selling hats. Everybody went there for hats. or for hats days. or shirt kings yeah. who would do the, the spray painting on the, on the stuff like that. So... Um, what, Long story short, that's that's. What the, did you the learn habit. from that that experience right there? I learned from that experience that I was in charge of my destiny for the rest of my life. I learned that that moment I went and acquired the fabric, I came up with the product, and it was either I was going to win or lose because of my ability to sell something that I created. That no longer could anybody be in charge of my destiny. Did you continue to do that? Like go back to the Coliseum or go back? Yeah, my partner Keith places? is around here. He's he's back there somewhere. Keith, where you at? Ladies and that's gentlemen, like Karen. That's just like Keith. <laughs> just like he probably somewhere behind. But, you know, um, so after that, what would happen is that I would keep creating those hats, but then I would start making screen-printed shirts. And at that time, we had what was up, going up and down the eastern seaboard called the Black Expo. Um, and I would create, uh, you know, a bunch of those shirts and hats. And I would screen-print some shirts, and I would go on and sell them at the Black Expo, and I would just... You know, I would probably try to sell about $3,000 worth of stuff with the Black Expo and just keep going to each each Black Expo after that. Now, those T-shirts had targeted messages that resonated with a, a certain environment or a current environment. Well, for, first of all, it I, wasn't had, FUBU as I the had brand a couple different today. type of T-shirts, right? One T-shirt was, um, what was it? Uh, Free Mike Tyson. Yep. <laughs> I like Mike. Why not? I'm like, you know what I'm saying? The next one was something like uh, Free Rodney King, <laughs> some <laughs> shit like that, right? And then the rest were FUBU. And then I started to get more and more sales of FUBU when I started going to the next, um, the next uh, Black Expo, and people would show up with the shirt they bought and say, people are all asking me for this. So, um, so I go down to Virginia because there's a guy named here named Ralph McDaniels who has a show called Video Music Box. It's the longest-running video show even Absolutely. Give Ralph his credit. It's a long... <laughs> Please. Let me tell you something. I don't care what rapper you know, they have kissed Ralph's ass to be on that <laughs> show. And now they don't know him, right? But I, I knew that I couldn't get a hold of Ralph here because he had something called Fat Fashions at the time. And, uh, you know, too many people going after him uh, to, to get him. So he used to do something called a Teddy Riley Weekend down in Virginia. So I decided that I would be one of... I wouldn't be one of many if I go down to Virginia and I go and try to get a hold of him. And I remember it was the day that, that uh, Brat released, uh, what was that song? Funk the Fire? What was that? Uh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> and I remember giving Ralph, so, so what I did was, I didn't give Ralph the shirt. Ralph always had really big bodyguards. So what I used to do was, I used to make sure that I would buy a dozen. 6X shirts and give them to only bodyguards. Because number one, I knew they only had big and tall shops to go to. It, so if I, if I put some extra embroidery in this, they would be billboards walking around. They would wear them more than most people walk around, would do that. Uh, most people would wear them. They would wear them two times a week instead of one time a month. And because they were big, scary people, most people would be like, what the hell is that? So I just kept giving them to all the bodyguards and all the people around him until 
they finally said, what the hell is that? And they would say, here's the guy who did it. So this is a real grassroots effort that built up FUBU. Oh, it gets worse, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, I know it gets worse. Actually, better, in fact. <laughs> Speak for yourself. You're, you're a collaborative <laughs> mastermind, apparently. Yeah. Um, so not, not as a lot documented in between these days and the six years between that and then hitting up Magic for where you, you really went after the, um, you know, the big retail buyers. Sure. So to give a little context to that, Magic is the largest trade show in the fashion industry. It takes place in Vegas. Um, it's going and, on right now, as we speak. Yeah. Everybody knows. And it's, uh, I mean, it takes over Vegas, essentially. So a uh, pretty intimidating place for a, a young brand to, to walk into and say, okay, well, you know, pick up $100,000 or $50,000 or even like $1,000 worth of my stuff. Um, you walked out of that show with uh, like four hundred grand in orders. How did you prepare from the moment that you were talking about leveraging grassroots communities to the point where you could walk into Magic and, and gain the attraction of some large, large orders. You know, it sounds like it was methodical and things of that nature. It wasn't. It was that, um, you know, we happened to... I, I knew a lot of these rappers, and they weren't big. And so for literally two years, I would take 10 T-shirts, and I would go to a video set, and I'd put on a rapper, and then they'd shoot the video, and I'd take it back. I'd put another rapper, take it back. We're in a date. Put another rapper, take it back. I wasn't driving... Everyone's the same size? No, that's why we had 10, because we had like two of each size, nice. right? So all of a sudden, these videos start to play. And I become known as a, a large clothing company. Then I go into where they have all the, all the, um, the gates that are pulled down in front of the, 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 the stores, you know, the gray gates. I spray mm-hmm. paint 300 of them white, and it says FUBU on it. And so those gates are pulled down in the morning rush hour, and they're pulled down now during evening yeah. rush hour. They're still there, a few of them. One or two of those gates are still up, absolutely. Um, so now I become known as somewhat of a, a large clothing company. Meanwhile, I just got 10, 10 T-shirts and a bunch of empty spray cans. <laughs> so, so everybody probably knows the story about me stalking LL Cool J. I get him to take a picture for me, and I then find out, I, I look up 300 stores in the United States that are going to Magic, and I sent that picture of LL Cool J that I took in the middle of the street. And I said, you see in the videos, the kids have been asking before, and FUBU will be at the magic show. So now I go to the magic and show. And what presence did FUBU have at the magic show? Oh, there it goes, right there. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, Nothing. I go to the magic show. I don't have any money uh, to get to the, the trade show. I don't have, we, my friends and I, we stay in the Mirage Hotel a couple of miles away. Six of us. Oh, we actually, my mother worked for American Airlines, so we all go on standby and buddy passes. Nice. All right. Jump seat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I always joke, but some of my friends just got back today. Now, we, uh, <laughs> you know, that works every time. I love it. Um, but so I don't have any money to go into the magic show, and I can't get in the magic show. So I always tell people I snuck into the magic show, but I didn't. And I never told Jeff the story here. But I was standing in the Mirage Hotel, and I remember... Because I took out an ad. I spent all my money taking out an ad and, like, think right on magazine of me standing next to LL Cool J. And I'm standing, and we're, we're sitting there, Keith and I and all my friends, and we're sitting there thinking about how we don't have any food to eat, uh, something like that. And Carl Kanai walks by me. And I remember, like, this, this guy looked like he was walking on water. Mm-hmm. And he walked by me, and I ran up to him to get an autograph. And he goes, hey... Aren't you one of those FUBU guys? Oh, stop it. Oh, man. That's great. You work for Carl? Yeah. I was like, holy crap, does this guy know who I am? And he said, come to my booth tomorrow. And I go to his booth. And this time the magic show was predominantly white people, of course. 
I go to his booth and he sat there and introduced me to as many store owners as he could. Um, Dr. J's, Macy's, all of them. And he didn't care. He wasn't, he wasn't mad at it. it. I wasn't competition to him. And they then came up to that hotel room and yeah, they wrote $300,000 in orders. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to go ahead and say, all right, so let's go with the power broke. Cause this is a perfect segment into that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, in the, the Laws of Subtraction, author uh, Matthew E. May, he states creativity thrives under constraints. And this is uh, seemingly the foundational premise of The Power of Broke. And uh, this, if you guys don't know, it's his uh, most recently published book. Uh, what are one or two of the most Power of Broke moments that you're most proud of in your, uh, in your early stages of Fubu? Well, I mean, I shared two of them with you, which was the Gates and which was the, um, which was the, uh, the, the 10 T-shirts. Those are, those are extremely powerful moments uh, for me. I would have to think about other powerful moments. Um, How about ooh. when you jacked a $30 million ad budget from The Gap with LL Cool J? Oh. <laughs> yeah, and I, you, you know, so, so what happens, LL, LL Cool J does an ad for The Gap. Does anybody remember this ad? Yeah. Raise your hand. Can you play it? Play the ad. I know you like your outfit stylist. Any of them line with your gap is childish. Everybody working is a personal stylist. You're falling. Once you hear the gap calling, you can't resist the shopping. Big balling. Now stop it. Yes, you're all in. Team popping in every mall in town and city. T-A-P, gritty. Ready to go for us, by us, on the low. T, that's for getting the A for always. What was that? I know you like it. For us, by us, on the low. For us, by us, on the low. For us, by us, on the low. Yeah, Danny. Yeah. So... I wish I could tell you that I, I planned that. <laughs> I didn't, and I think that the most important part and aspect of this was that LL was such a, all right, today we're going to call these people influencers and things of that nature, but he was such a dedicated person to the brand that he took that amongst himself to do, and that is night and day. I mean, he, he is obviously one of the main reasons that we're here because uh, at, at that time, you know, the, he felt insulted at the way that the Gap was talking to him. And so this is for a lot of the brands here because I know there are a lot of large brands here, you know, to to go and grab an influencer and think, you know, I've seen it many times, you know, put a black guy on something and start rapping or whatever the case is. It, this was very counterproductive. This could have really damaged the Gap. Because he felt insulted that they were trying to tap into hip hop, but they didn't care, and that's why he did this. Now, I few do people want, got fired over this. The, the everybody at the Gap got fired, over yeah. this. <laughs> and everybody at the advertising agency got fired over this. No, but now it to, took them a while. Though. But now to give them their respect, they went in and they did the analytics, and they found out that their target market increased three hundred percent because the kids thought they can get food with the Gap, <laughs> and they reran the ad. But, you know, that shows how a brand could slip, and that shows how a brand can also take advantage of the opportunity. $6 billion in total revenue sales for FUBU. Uh, 27 stores at, at a point. Um, most of our audiences over here will, will look at that and say, holy crap, if I could launch uh, a technology or a brand or anything, just sell something and, and bring in $6 billion in revenue, I mean, shit, take that ticket any day. And, um, you know, in a lot of the interviews that, you know, you come across with yourself, um, people also point to that as, as, as a huge, huge deal. And it is a huge deal. It's a massive, massive accomplishment to grow that. 
But I feel that when you're responding to this, you're always deflecting to, you know, a bigger, a bigger win or, you know, like, for instance, Nike, 18 billion in one year. So what's 6 billion in over the Because the Because reality is $6 billion in sales is retail sales, right? So what was that really to us, right? 300... You don't tell me million. Uh, three, three million. Uh, sorry, I mean, three billion, two and a half billion, and I'll take it. No, no don't listen. <laughs> Extremely grateful for it, right? And but I called up Phil Knight one day, and I know he he was kind of moving a little into hip hop, and I said, "Hey, Phil, what's happening? Damon John here. Um, I see you moving out of sports a little bit into." You know, trying to get into the music area. I, I know a lot of rappers and stuff like that. Let me, you know, let's work together. He said, you know, we, we trick them up once in a while, but we haven't even hit the tip of the iceberg in regards to, you know, sports. Goodbye. Click. <laughs> He's focused. All right. The man's doing 18 billion a year. All right. So I know it's an impressive number to many, but if you look at longevity, we were a company that went up and went down. Right. You look at other companies uh, that have, Stayed the course. Have they had hard times? Absolutely. Has Louis Vuitton had hard times? Has, uh, you know, Ralph Lauren have hard times? They do. But, you know, I, I, I always look at it. Why couldn't I have been, been on that side of it? Um, Tommy Hilfiger came back. Right. Uh, and, and Tommy Hilfiger had the same challenges we had. Overextended imagery, you know, um, uh, overextended goods, every, every, every area, you know, all the way down. I mean, look at Ralph Lauren. They probably sell more goods in Burlington Co. Factory than anybody else, but they managed to keep this, uh, you know, this direction. So, you know, I look at that side and I go, how, how come I couldn't have maintained that? Was I too close to it? Did I get lazy? Sometimes people aren't built to grow those type of things. I mean, I really did get tired of the business when I had over 200 people working for me. I, I'm, a, I'm a guy who likes really one-on-one interaction. And after 150 people working for you, 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 start to, you stop to know names. Um, so that's, that's why I look like that. But listen, there's other companies. I think what, what Levi's is doing $14 billion when I came in the market. They're doing $3 billion. So they probably, they're probably uh, hurting way more than I, I was feeling about it. But I just don't get beside myself. The minute you start taking yourself too serious, then you're, you're really in trouble, you know? Agreed. I think this is the perfect time to take a break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to go with a reflection and uh, more of a, a learning lessons from, from your journey. So more when we come back with Damon John. Hi, my name's Rebecca Fitz. I'm from Warby Parker. Hi, I'm Chris Hansen from Ignition One. We are hosts of Retail Is Your Business. Retail Is Your Business is a weekly podcast covering the intersection of innovation, technology, and business strategy in the world of retail, online and offline, across all industries, with a focus on consumer experience. We deep dive with insiders from industry leaders to cutting-edge startup founders. Crucial insights, career journeys, trends, new ideas, and the state and trajectory of the retail industry become accessible with a fun and comfortable morning radio vibe. Listen to Retail Is Your Business every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Because retail is your business. Welcome back to Fashion Is Your Business live on location at Blueprint & Co. And, of course, we're here with the extraordinary Mr. Damon John uh, Puffin. Let's continue. 
So it's clear that you're you're constantly learning, you're growing, you're bettering yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, you you talk about working smart and all these things. I'm curious on how you're learning these days and what you're learning. Um, you know, what am I learning these days? I'm learning I'm learning that uh, the world is changing so fast that I need to know and real, roll up my sleeves and find out how to actually execute uh, like the kids are executing today because as you get to know these fundamentals and it's easier for you as the other things come along because technology is not changing. Um, I'm learning that it's much easier, of course, to to sell direct to a customer and, and have whether it's social media conversion or something else like that because you get full margin, you know who the customer is, you can upsell them, you know why they didn't buy, you can make them feel like they're part of the part of the process um, those are those are the main things I'm learning um, and that today's analytics are just that's the hidden pot of gold you know in the past it was let's get a focus group uh, let's get our numbers from the department store on what's sold but we didn't even know so if I have a 12% sell-through on a Monday morning when our report card comes in from the the retailers did the pimple-faced kid who's on Instagram looking for his girlfriend ever even take the boxes out of the back and hang them up? Did they fold them? You know, did he tell the story to it? Or did the retailer themselves really receive a million dollars worth of goods and say they only received seven fifty because their job is to make sure that they bang you out for some money in real estate? You know, um, you know, you, you didn't know what was happening then. The, the best indication of a retailer, at, even till today, is a specialty store owner who is going to live and die by what they sell and they're going to actually be your best advertiser and marketer and they're going to reorder as soon as it's sold out, not every quarter. They're not going to mark it down every uh, three weeks or something of that nature. And today with your analytics, you can you can know every single thing. So you look at somebody like an honest company that says, Brian from Honest Company will go, you know what? I see this, these, these pieces, this product here is selling better in Florida than anywhere else. I'm going to switch out my retails. I'm going to switch them out and I'm going to give them that product and take back some of the rest of the product so I can support them. Right. So. You look at the data that today, the analytics are so much better than any place else, you know. Um, it, it's just really amazing, you know. So that's what I'm learning today. And, and every single day you're learning on how to acquire more uh, data on what's going on. Yeah, without a doubt. And that's in-store environment as well as online. I mean, yeah, you could track the whole journey in your product from manufacturing all the way through the sale. Yeah. Um, are you looking into sensors and additionally to that? And how they could aggregate. Um, we are looking at sensors. Um, I'm not personally looking into it like that. It's just that when I have, obviously, business I'm invested in, and I'm learning. You know, that's why I'm learning from. All, that's where I'm learning from all these businesses. So, like, when I'm in Shark Tank, I, I probably learn more than anybody else because I'm learning from these millennials who are doing business a whole new way. So I'm 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 learning all that stuff every day. You know, you were you know you were in the culture for a long time growing up. Um, you. You collaborated with the the right artists. You were in the right environments, um, and you had a message that resonated. Are you fearful that you've lost touch with the culture, or how are you keeping up with the culture? Lost touch with the culture. Shit. How how are you keeping up? So how are you how are you keeping up with the culture? I, do, I represented the Kardashians for their first three years, right? Um, Pitbull. Who else? Who else? Everybody. I watch a lot more Kardashians than I uh, want to admit, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm usually too far ahead of the culture because I keep a lot of young people around me. And at the end of the day, the individuals who uh, grow up in the culture, uh, you know, they, you know, they still have the pipelines, and and um, and I have those relationships. So, no, no, I'm, I, it, 
okay, now is your is your pulse directly on it? You feel? Listen, you can say yes. I, I, I mean, I'm just I, I, no, 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 no. My, that's all I was about to say. Do I wear you know the funny looking jeans and a little, weird little mustache? No, I'm not you know cool like Tyler <laughs> the Creator. You know who Tyler the Creator is? Right. That boy crazy. Now I interviewed him. <laughs> I interviewed Tyler the Creator. Look him up one day, cause this, this is like this is like what our parents were talking about us. Where they were like, "Yo, he's crazy." <laughs> like I'm having an interview with him. He's like, "Yo, I just can't wait." You know, at the end of the day, I want to have horse legs. <laughs> and he he was dead ass like horse legs. <laughs> so yes, I do talk to some of them, and I look at them like they're Betamax. I'm like, but I but I but yes, I am around them. I'm in these clubs. Live on Sundays. Yes, I'm I'm out there. No, still. Sad. That is very nice to hear, I can't man. Help yeah, it. give it applause for that. Yeah, live on Sunday. Who like live on Sunday? Who like live on Sunday? <laughs> live on Sunday. Live on Sunday. <laughs> you you and mentioned... New York Sapphires on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> oh man. You mentioned um, an interview recently with Gary V that you actually wake up and you go over all of your goals, whether it's the day's goals, your three year goals, your five year goals, your ten year no, goals. No, I go six months goal, five years goal, ten year goal. And twenty year goal, but there's the five and ten Every and twenty day. only have one. They only have one goal. Five days a week. Uh, in, in the middle of the night, I mean, excuse me. Before I go to bed, I read them. Um, so it's the last thing I think about. And in the morning when I wake up, it's the first action I take. Do you mind sharing with us? Sharing what my goals? Well, get your own. Um, <laughs> it's not about me. <laughs> yeah. So so my goals. You know, goal setting is something that I learned the first time when I read um, Think and Grow Rich. Um, and it's, it's, there's a method to it, and if you ever want to read it, there's either Brian Tracy has a book on goals and everything else like that. And I, you know, in my keynote, I, I, I basically tell people, you know, um, you become what you think about most of the time, no matter how you want to slice it. And if you don't, aren't in conscious control of your goals, then you're letting other people set the goals for you. Because you're allowing them to always tell you, that you can't do something or you, you know, you're going to embarrass yourself or you're going to embarrass them or it hasn't been done. And a lot of times these aren't the people who are trying to tell you this because it's, they want to be detrimental to you. They're just their family. You know, they love you and maybe they don't want you to risk that much. Maybe they don't want you to go through that amount of pain. So I'll give you an example. You know, one of my goals may be, um, let's say if I'm in the mode and I'm, I'm back on my game and I'm trying to lose weight, I would say something like, I'm going to drink eight glasses of water a day. I'm going to eat my last meal by six or seven o'clock at night. Uh, substitute one meal with fruit. Eat nine, eat nine times a day and go and do cardio by eight o'clock every day. Now, I, it, with doing that, I'll lose two pounds a week and I'll get up to my ideal weight of whatever it is, 175, uh, 180, whatever the case is. And I will keep doing it. So it will keep me on track. Will I always hit it? No, I don't, absolutely not. And then it'll say it'll, it'll expire by June 1. All six of those goals will expire by June 1. Faith health, business, what kids, whatever the case is. And right by June 1, I start getting this anxiety. And then I just reset them. But I will get closer to those goals than anything else. You, you alluded or touched on it briefly earlier in the earlier segment about complacency or getting comfortable. Can you talk about maybe a moment where you were comfortable, but how long it took you to identify that and how that changed you? Um, I would have to think, I, you know, my level of being comfortable was I started coming into the office at one and leaving at six. 
I started allowing everybody else to do the job and knowing that, you know, I should be doing it myself or not even that, thinking that I hired a great staff. Why the hell am I doing this all day? I need to go out. And I wasn't going out and hanging out, but maybe a little bit, but I was going out to dinners, doing things that were unnecessary because I thought that that was the, the, the level of success I was at was supposed to, you know, I have my, you know, I have my bunch of cars and, um, Which one's your favorite? <laughs> yeah, I don't remember which one was my favorite. Come well, on. You don't have, it's like, huh? you have a favorite. Of course you have no, a favorite. No, no, I had a lot of cars. But um, <laughs> I'll give you an example. I, bought, I you know, I had the first I had the first um I had the first extended Maybach in in the country, right? And I remember there was three rappers that had Maybachs and I used to pull up and go, Oh, they make those in little girl sizes? <laughs> but anyway. Mine's tinted, yours might have been rented. Right. <laughs> but I lived across the street. So what the hell did I need a driver in a Maybach for if I lived across the street? And then my main house is upstate Millbrook, so when I would get in my car and drive it myself, I wouldn't have my driver. People would pull me over going, hey, who's in the back? Oh. Thinking I was a driver. <laughs> the end of the day, why did I have that? Why did I have a $350,000 car living across the street? But there was a lot of mistakes like that made. You know, I bought six, seven houses. I, you know, I did all this, and, and that was getting comfortable because once you do that, then you, your friends enjoy your houses more than anything else, and then you leave work because you're like, well, if I bought this house in Miami, why don't I go down there? And that was the, that was in me. I was like 32, so you know that. And miraculously, you started football when you were 22, around that age. Or? I started football when I was 19. 19. Okay. And I closed it three times because I failed. I closed it three times. I ran out of money up until I was 22. Okay. Sorry, I just no problem. But miraculously, my marriage suffered. My health suffered, my business suffered all at the same time. Because of that Maybach. Because of all those Maybachs. <laughs> you know, uh, all right, so I want to get a little personal with you if you're all right with that. That wasn't personal? <laughs> well, we're going, okay. We're going, okay, well, we're going to go with people's perceived, um, I guess, the way that they perceive um, conditions as limitations. Sure. Uh, you don't go into it in a lot of other interviews, but you do mention it that you're dyslexic. Now, and the reason I want to bring this up is because both of my business partners, um, you know, Mark is hearing impaired and Rob is on the autism spectrum. And both of them literally have developed superpowers from these impairments. Um, just by being able to navigate them or use them effectively. Now I'm wondering how you've used your condition to to develop or as a superpower. So I didn't know I was dyslexic until two-way pagers came out. Until I started emailing and texting people and they were going, uh, <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> Um, and then I realize every time I go to a hotel and, you know, the number of the hotel is clearly this way, I end up on this other side of the hotel and the navigation came out and, you know, um, <laughs> so I didn't know what it, it was. But I, I think that it was the fact that I, I would look at things and study them harder because I knew that somehow I was skipping over the words or I wasn't retaining the information and I'd visualize things more. Um, how many people here are dyslexic? Raise your hand. Wow, there you go. Wow, for those that are listening ah, on this podcast go. right now, a minimum of twenty people just raised their Good. hand in this, Perfect. in this sea of people. But you know what? You know what? You know what that says? It's very common. 
Well, I know it is, but it says something about the room. Um, because most of the time when I ask that, if it was the size room, three people would raise their hand. Mm. So it shows the room uh, mainly either um, artistic people, bosses, people very comfortable because that is the stat. 20% of the entire world is dyslexic. It has nothing to do with race, religion, gender, anything else. 20%. How many of the sharks, the six sharks, how many think are dyslexic? Four. Wow. Four are dyslexic and two are just stupid. <laughs> You love, you love that. I do like you that. You love that. But, you know, but I say this, and the reason why, you know, and I can give you the stats all the time, like 85%. Yeah, you're right. The two stupid ones, Lori and Robert. Um, but I give you the stats, you know. It, it's, uh, I think it's 85% of professional chefs, 48% of entrepreneurs, seven of the presidents were dyslexic. Einstein was dyslexic. Um... And the reason why I share it and the reason I'm an advocate for it is because one of your partners have lost a hearing as well. Yep. He didn't even hear you me. Didn't yes. hear me. Um, so <laughs> the reason why I share those two, those two are that um, he really didn't. The re- is that so we all have family members, we all have kids here, and if you have a child, you know, a child in the third or fourth grade, if they have either one of those invisible disabilities, uh, they can't be cured with a pill, right? So the drug companies don't make money off of saying, take this pill because you have ADHD or things of that nature. They can solve it. So the only way to solve either one of those is get a hearing device and or uh, uh, start to get an education on how to absorb information differently. But a kid in the third grade or second grade is ashamed to go, huh? I didn't understand it. It's backwards. I didn't hear it, huh? So what happens is the criminal system is filled with kids that started off on the wrong foot because I was often offered jobs by drug dealers and things of that nature who said, I don't care if you can read or not. Come over here and stand on this corner and let's make some money. Because if you're brilliant, you're brilliant, no matter how it's going to go. So uh, I also, I was very, very hard on my daughter who was dyslexic, and I didn't notice, I didn't recognize that she was dyslexic. She got expelled on purpose. Um, so I share this with you because the loved ones you may have, these kids out there, get them tested if you think that there's a challenge they may have. They may be acting out because they are truly brilliant. People, dyslexic people are just as good as anybody else, and they excel in different areas. So that's why I'm a big advocate for sharing uh, this information. Thank you. Right. Thank you. No problem. Now, um, Shane Snow, he's the founder of Contently, he, uh, he published a book called Smart Cuts, and one of those chapters had talked about leaping ladders. So uh, basically getting to a saturation point in one area of your career and using that and just jumping over to another ladder to experience exponential growth. Mm-hmm. Now, I view um, your participation in Shark Tank as the ultimate ladder jump um, I could really identify. That I've seen. I, I never heard it like that, but yeah, really brilliant. So I, I need to read that book. Yeah, You should meet him. He's here in New York. Yeah, He's a great guy. That's cool. Um, not that I know him personally, but from his writing, he seems great. Um, <laughs> Writes with finesse. I don't know. No. Um, how did the opportunity of Shark Tank come to you, or did you go to it? How did that come about? Um, so, 
so I went through this phase of partying and hanging out with all these celebrity friends and all that type of stuff. And then I realized that I had, uh, you know, my marriage had suffered from it. And I realized that I, I wasn't really doing what I, what I loved, what I was passionate about. So I always wanted to be a broadcaster. I never wanted to be a celebrity um, because I grew up in Hollis, Queens, and that is the home of Ja Rule, Run DMC, LL Cool J, da 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 da. And every when I was over on, when I was when I was on tour with them, often I would see them just interrupted by people for the. I would see I would see a guy with his girlfriend. They're crying. They're having an argument at dinner, and somebody's jumping in asking for an autograph and just being rude. So I never wanted to be a public person in that sense. I always wanted the right people in the room to know who I was. So when my business and career started to all uh, started to change, I wanted to make my little girls proud of me, and I wanted to try to educate people and show them what they were going through. So I started going to Donnie Deutsch and CNBC and MSNBC. Um, so it started to pick up, and 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 uh, Mark Burnett saw me. Now he said he was going to come out with a show, a bunch of but bunch of businessmen. So I'm thinking like you know like. Again, I don't want to be a celebrity, but I'm thinking, who is who in the world is going to want to see like five entrepreneurs just talking? If you pitch that to me without knowing about Shark Tank, yeah, it sounds terrible. So I figured I wasn't going to be a celebrity because like it's like it's like watching Dan Rather, Walter Cronkite. Nobody goes, Dan Rather, check these out. <laughs> nobody, nobody does that, right? Surprisingly, so I, yeah. Well, maybe have it once in a while, but <laughs> so. I didn't think that I was going to become a celebrity, but so so Mark Bennett calls me and he says, "Hey, why don't you come do the show?" And I said, uh, "You know," he said, "You're going to have to use your own money." And then he, you know, but then I said to myself, "I had twelve clothing, I had twelve, ten clothing companies, and eight of them are dead. We had just uh, separated from mar- uh, most official marriage in the mob. Heatherette uh, wasn't doing that well, and the brand because it was '08." Nobody's buying clothes. So I said, you know what, I'll go on there because I need to be able to use my ability to distribute, my ability to understand uh, financing, and I want to take up different real estate and retailers. I don't want to just take up apparel and have to talk to the young men's department, the young or the contemporary. I want to take up uh, lotions, bedding, you know, home, all this kind of stuff. So that's why I, I went on the show and I said to Mark, here's my, here's my, here's my, uh, my, uh, here's the only reason I'll do it. I have to be able to pitch you my three smoking TV ideas, and I'll come out there and shoot the show. And that was it. What were your three smoking TV ideas? I don't know. They sucked. He killed me in like two minutes. He was like, yeah, whatever. It was definitely not as good we as were eating like eggs. We were eating like bacon and eggs, and he didn't even get to the bacon. He just like, he killed, he, they, they, they must have been horrible. I don't even remember them. I really don't remember them. Man, they sucked. At what point did you realize that Shark Tank was something big? Um... And that it would be massive. Well, we realized that it would be massive because in every single country that Shark Tank was in, year three, like magic, bang, just flew up. It was in Japan, London, Canada. But ABC, the... You have voiceover shows of you around the world? No, no. This is Dragons then, the original format. It's a Sony format, right? Uh, And they own the format. So we knew that if ABC would stick it out, that it would would do well. But ABC was just coming off of a show that didn't work called American Inventor. So they were like, eh, whatever. And season one almost got canceled. So season three, we didn't know if the show was going to be renewed because it was the time when they were supposed to renew the show. And then all of a sudden we weren't hearing from them. All of a sudden the head of ABC... I don't know what happened. He got he he got into something with his secretary, 
in London and he got fired. And the guy that replaced him was a British guy who was a fan of the show in London. That's what Bang, and the show got picked wow. back up. <laughs> Bang is right. So That's we tried tough. to send the secretary gifts and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Woo! Another man. I love her. Oh, my gosh. She's fantastic. All right, so you're saying you never dreamed or wanted to be a celebrity. So you never had dreams as a kid of being a celebrity. No. You own the shit out of being a celebrity. Like no, you really I don't, do. I don't think no, you, you do. You're I, I don't think I do. Well, thank you. You do. I think. Um, yeah. Yes, yes, but, yes, no, yes. But, you know, thank you. But, you know, I'm on a... So, you, so look, I, I was interviewing Gary Vee here, whatever, a week or two weeks ago. I have, a, I have about a combined two million people that follow me on, on, on social media platforms. I'm on ABC every single week, and I'm on CNBC like the damn Kardashians, right, of CNBC. <laughs> but Gary has like six million people that follow him. But it's you understand where your domain is. No, but this, no, the six million are passionate about him and stuff like that. It's just that, um, again, wh- um, when mine is put in a can, it can air you all the time. You are deflecting your accolades. You're too humble for your own good sometimes. No, no, my no, sister sure. and my sister in law are here. They traveled like an hour and a half to come into the city just to, oh, because they're like, I you. love Shark Tank. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. They're excited. Oh, the most excited people in this room. Oh, oh thank you. Um, yeah. But I have, have a great team. Have, I have a, I have an amazing team of young, sharp people around me who are who think outside the box, and they're always they're just always thinking. They're really good people. But are there any? Um, I mean, now that you're in the celebrity, right? Just admit to it. You're a celebrity. So now, do you? Are there? What are the downfalls of celebrity in your in your opinion? So, so, you know, we have to define what celebrity is. Celebrity is somebody, obviously, that people look up to. I think the downfalls of celebrity is, you know, no matter who you are. I mean, you know, if you have a company, you have five people working for you, you're a celebrity to them, right? They're, they're, defining, they're defining their success upon what actions you take and or they think that you can take away their problems, right? So I think the downfall of being a celebrity is the, the challenges that, we all have as individuals that we can't share with anybody, um, that we all suffer from whatever the case is. Most celebrities um, are in pain. A lot of them are in pain. They, 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 they are, they, they're abusing a substance. They can't tell anybody they're on the substance. They're using the substance to forget or get away from something. Um, many people in their lives are digging into them because they want something from them, and these people have to watch their back. They don't know who to go to. Um, I don't happen to have those issues. Um, most of my friends around me, uh, I, I employed my whole neighborhood, so I'm for, I'm, I'm going to be 48 tomorrow or the next day, and, and I've known most, most, a lot of my employees have been with me as friends since the sixth grade or the first grade. Um, yeah, so I don't have those issues um, because also the people around me, I try to keep real people around me. So, like, did Keith leave already? Where's Keith at? You're really God looking damn at it. Keith. Keith, where are you? I see. That, that's what I'm talking about. My friends love me so much, they just left. <laughs> but if you keep real people around you, like if I act up in the office one day, I might just really get fly on. And Keith would be like, I was with you when you pooped on yourself in the seventh grade. Remember, remember that? Remember that? You know, so like, I don't, I don't have those challenges, but, but it is tough for a lot of people who, uh, you know, being celebrity. And, and I think I, I heard some. Oh, I heard something probably about a year ago, a really great phrase, a great phrase. It said, we all compare our blooper reel to everybody else's sizzle reel. Mm-hmm. And 
today where we're at today in social media, everybody is on their best behavior. And that's just not the truth. And what happens is it's an, it's an infectious disease that everybody else starts to say, I need to live up to that standard. And they do a lot of bad things to themselves to live up to that standard, whether substance abuse, changing their bodies, being around the wrong people. And, uh, um, it's just a challenge, I think, you know, yeah, for all my uh, Instagram followers, uh, that's only a sliver of my personality. I actually didn't cook that food. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it is what it is. No, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, you had mentioned recently, like, you don't want to pick up boxing by just going into the ring and boxing Mike Tyson. You have to spar with your peers and Power you work your broke. way up. Yes. Yeah. Um, who do you now identify as peers currently that when you take a step back and you look at it, you're just enamored and like humbled? You mean you who do I look that. at and I say they're doing it right? Well, no, that they're your sparring partners right now. That you could look at it and you said at one point, you know, you really revered them and now you legit are sparring partners. Not because he's here, Jeff. You know, he started, he started a, a lot of stuff, uh, you know, and, and people like him. And you know what? is the best way to lead into this. It's really the people that I have in occupying this space. June Ambrose and Hal Rubenstein who are here and Hype Williams and the people that are, uh, they're smart enough to know where they are, but they're smart enough to also know that they have to keep learning. You know, people think that, you know, this space is not for startups. The space is, you know, and if you're a startup, and I think, you, I think that WeWork does a great job. This space is for executives my level that need to, understand we still have to learn, right? Um, and those are the people that I use uh, are my sparring partners, the people that we share best practices. Brian Lee from The Honest Company, uh, my fellow sharks. You know, I was talking to Barbara the other day and she was like, man, at this Shark Tank, like, you know, we were, this is really our money. We really work with the entrepreneurs. She said, I'm working more now than I've ever done before. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just the people that all know how much we, and we're excited about learning. It's not that we need to learn because we're going to be out of business. We will be in that sense if that's the case, but it's just that we are just excited to learn. So I call those my sparring partners. There's so many of them, you know, out there. Now you seem, you, you have massive support from your mother. You have a great relationship with her. Uh, you express that quite regularly, which is beautiful. Um, your youngest daughter is about to turn one years old soon, so congratulations there. Um, knowing what you know and the things that you've done and experienced, what disciplines and learning lessons will you be passing along down to, to Minka? Um, really extremely hard. You know, my, my ex-wife has done an absolutely amazing job of raising my, my girls, my older girls who are uh, 18 and 23. Um, and I'll tell you who told me something really profound two days ago, maybe about parenting. It was uh, Jaleel White. Urkel. Yep. yep. <laughs> no, no, right? Jaleel White is Stefan. He is not Urkel. Does anyone, you guys get that? No, no that's what's I, up. I didn't watch it. What was that? that oh, was... come on. <laughs> But yeah, Stefan. That's when he turns into Rico Suave. Oh. Yeah. He like goes into a chamber and everything. Well. <laughs> Yeah, I find him fascinating. I find somebody who is a pop icon, who is trapped in his own body, who most people like him, you know, they, they would have damn near killed themselves where he's, he's on the forward cutting edge of influencers, everything else. And Urkel's a dad, right? Think about that. 
Mm-hmm. And I talked to him the other day, and he was talking about when he talks to his, uh, I believe, his daughter, and she wants to do something, like, let's say, smoke, argument's sake. You know, I would tell my daughters why. I'd say, hey, I'd say, I don't think it's a really great idea, you know, but you want to do this. You know, my mother screwed me up one time with some kind of child psychology like this. She said, listen, Damon, crack is really popular in the neighborhood, so if you ever want to try it, why don't we do it together? <laughs> so what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and I was just thinking about this nasty crackhead lady who was running down the block with like a VCR or something. And I was like, I don't want my mother to be a crackhead. She like ruined the whole, the whole yeah. thing for me. <laughs> right? So Jaleel told me the other day, not the same thing, but something kind of profound that I wouldn't have done. Like if, if he was talking to his daughter about smoking, he'd be like, he said he would say, ha, you want to smoke? <laughs> Go ahead. Please do it, because no matter what, down the road, she remember him laughing at him doing that instead of disciplining. Um, and I remember sharing that with somebody, and they were like, we do it to our kids as well. So I say all that to say, I don't, you know, parenting is so so weird. It's, it's so many things, there's so many moving parts about influences and things like that, and the kids desire that. I've, uh, that is the toughest job that I, I think... Um, I think that's the toughest job ever. I don't care about entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is fine, but being a mother and a parent and parenting, it's so hard. Um, I don't really have the answers for it. All right, well, on that, we'll let you gather some answers, and uh, we're going to go into a break. And when we come back, more with Damon John, um, and we're going to be talking about his future endeavors going forward. Entrepreneurista. A woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entrepreneurista podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurstapodcast.com. Welcome back to our final segment of Fashion Is Your Business Live on location at Blueprint & Co. in New York City with our guest, Mr. Damon John. All right. Thank you. We're back. So you made a failed attempt of retirement when you were 36 years old, and you quoted saying, I almost killed myself. Now, that's, that wasn't literal. Right, right, right. But, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say it in that context, but it was... You're doing more than ever right now yeah. is really what I'm, I'm getting at. And can you, let me challenge you and see if you can spit off every single venture that you're actively participating in right now within a minute. No. You can't even do it. No, I couldn't. It's impossible. I'll, I'll try. Go. Um, FUBU, Crown Holder, Kooji, Blueprint, Al Bubba Baker's Boneless Ribs, Three Jerk Jerky, Bombas, uh, whatever the dog treat company is, um, <laughs> uh, Mission Bells, um, 
uh, uh, rinse kit, uh, uh, line cutter. Uh, Bomber. Bomber socks. Shout out to Bomber socks. <laughs> Bubba's already said Bubba she fit. Yes, she fit. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Speaking. How many uh, total? Representing. Oh, Catherine Zeta Jones brand. Um, bzzz, yeah. I don't know. How many total projects are you involved um, in? Right I, now? Uh, hands on, probably about oh, hands on, probably about hands. thirty, and then Jeez. then then. But, but remember, I have a good team, right? Around all the sharks, we all have great teams around us, and then some. Some are probably I have a total of about fifty, but you know the twenty that aren't really whether well, doing that well or we have great CEOs and it's kind of just moving along. You don't really obviously need to need to stress because you know it's either being taken care of or it's not going to do much better than it is. Well. Mark and Rob, you got to start working harder. No, but um, so I'll give you a good point about this, right? <laughs> I think I think this brings up a good point. I could bring FUBU back to some extent. It's nostalgic now. There, you you've just had a great movie from uh, New Edition. You had one from NWA. It hasn't been done about fashion, a group of kids, things of that nature. You have Empire out. You have people uh, going after vintage product right now. I can make collaborations. I can license it out. I don't have the time. Champions just getting back on the up and up too. Champion Puma. Uh, Urban Outfitters doing a great job. So and and so I don't you know people may look at me like man he got he has it all in order. No, I may st- I I could still probably have at least a seventy five million dollar business now if I applied myself right now to that. But there's only twenty four hours in a day. Well, Keith Perrin, who uh, dipped out on you tonight, um, original co-founder yeah. of Fubu, had tweeted out in October November time saying that you guys are going to be resurrecting the brand. Is that? Is that fact? We, we resurrect in the sense of we'll, we'll put up a hat on social media and we'll sell out 5,000 and be done And because mm. it's an easy order, right? I don't want to go out and, and have all these SKUs, have all these shirts, all that stuff, because we like it. It's fun. But be very honest, all those 50 other companies, they're not going to equate to, they may or may not, you know, they, they probably won't equate. 90% won't equate to the 75 to $100 million that I could have in a global business doing that. I just don't have time. So w- why bring it back? Why not? It's your, it's the, it's my baby. It's about time to come back. It's a beloved brand. Um, it, hey, listen, Fubu can go into different areas. You never know. Maybe I just wanted to go to Walmart and cut a deal for a Fubu Soul Food, All right? And, and and sell fried chicken and waffles, collard greens, baby. You know what I'm saying? But these are the things that keep me up at night. Who would be the chef behind that? Huh? Who would be the chef behind that? Raekwon would be the <laughs> chef behind that. Does he make a mean chicken? I don't know. Oh, he definitely makes a mean track. That's right. All right, good enough. So, um, all right, let, let's talk about Blueprint a little bit and what sure. you're establishing over here in the ecosystem. I mean, what um, what really attracted us, um, our whole team, to the environment that you're building is that it's it's true collaboration and and not that other co-working environments don't do that, yeah. but they don't do it on this level and this structure. And as you mentioned, you're bringing in Fortune 500 companies along with innovations. People are talking together and they're really moving forward in a very dramatic way is how you see it. Sure. Um, can, you, can you talk about some of the amenities and some of the energy that you're hoping will exist amongst the base here? Yeah, well, so like anything, you know, we all we all want to see who we're going to be when we grow up, and I, you know, I'm activating the power of broke here as well. So why did I create it? Uh, I'll I'll share with you why. Like I said earlier, I think that I think that the, there's a lot of different co-working spaces out there, and I think many of them do a brilliant job. 
I'm, I've never been a person to, to take that away from them. And I think that they really should be out there for the people who want to activate the power broke. You want to create a company, get to desk at one of these places and see how it works and take affordable steps until you feel you want to take a two, three year lease someplace and build out of space. But a place like this is a place that I couldn't, I couldn't find. So I have to go and go to a cigar lounge, I have to go to a golf course, or I have to go to a social club to try to find the people that I know. And when I'm in a social club, I can't park three of my staff members over there all day because they're going to be drinking. They can't um, use the phones in some of these social clubs that we love and other people there to socialize. They may not want people like they're around them. But synergistically, if I have, and here are some of the members here, if I have Ashley Stewart, who already is changing the way that full-figured women are consuming goods and they're being appreciated what in the market. What James Ree has done to that James brand is, amazing. is unbelievable. And we'll probably have him over here and we'll speak. But, you know... We, we had him on this show, and I would encourage everybody to actually listen to that because it was probably the most powerful interview that we've we've done beyond Damon John no, right No, listen, here. James, give it up. James is amazing, yeah. and he is changing a whole a, a, a market that has been ignored. And he still has 80 people working in Secaucus, but he wants good talent or talent that is okay with being here because maybe they don't want to travel over there. So if I have James over here, and if I have Brian Lee with four desks from the Honest Company over here, and I have Lisa Mattress over here, and I have Randy Zuckerberg with three desks over here, and I have Shopify with four desks over here, and JetSmart with four desks over here, and the girl who just sold the female Viagra for a billion in cash and now has something called the Pinkubator, I put James with Honest Company. They're, both of their consumers are 100% women, and Honest Company and them both with Lisa Mattress, who the woman is the, the deciding factor in any household on the mattress, and then with the Pinkubator girl, all type of stuff are going to go in there. If, if Randy Zuckerberg, I don't need to teach her about tech, but if she needs to come in here because she has a new line on HSN rolling out, but Hal Rubenstein is here, and June Ambrose is here, or a good coder is here, or a trademark attorney, or a patent attorney, or somebody who understands how to, how to open up memberships and create a membership program, then they can all work together synergistically, but they have to be rated by our, our, um, our members. They have to be people in business five, ten years. Is there a vetting process? Uh, there is a vetting process. Uh, we go through it with our uh, a lot of our board members, a lot of our friends. Uh, maybe it's a PR person, but they have to be experienced. They have to be. I can't have I can't have a a, a, a CEO over here and somebody's asking them what a trademark is or a patent. You know, like we need to be a, we need to be a place instead of going to LA and having twenty lunches. I want to catch everybody in the same place, handle our business, and 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 save time because. That's the only thing we're selling people today when, is time. When are you guys opening? We open on the 1st. March 1st? Uh, yeah, we already have taken in, um, you know, if you go down to you'll see stickies. They're already um, we're probably about 40% full. I'm not sure, but, uh, but we're being selective. I mean, there's a lot of people that we wish we could help, but if we can't help them and they can't be a benefit to the community, we just can't take them in. And then on the flip side, there are a lot of people who are saying, well, I need, I need 10 desks in a dedicated showroom. Well, we would take different spots in the building and they have access to this, but they now have their, their spot where they want it. You know, one thing that you had said on a recent interview that really resonated with me is that when you were going to look around for manufacturers, you went after, you know, the 20th guy, not the number one leading manufacturer, but you want to go after the person that's 20th that wants to be number one because of the grit that comes with that, with the drive. So I explain Those are the that. types I'll of people that you're looking to attract over here. 
Mm, it could be or, or or maybe not. I mean, some of these people are. Listen, Brian, Honest Company's on the on the on the cutting edge, right? But it all depends on it. So what I was sharing with you is when I first went out with FUBU, everybody, we all used to think that you got to go to number one, number two, and number three in the market. Well, I didn't. Um, I went to the guys at Samsung Textiles. They had a company called uh, some goose bomber company that was doing about $20, $30 million. But they weren't doing any business during the summer because they were just goose coats. So I said, can you put my T-shirts and jeans in the factory? They do about $30 million. We ended up going to 300 and, and change because they all knew the buyers. They knew the buyers for 30 years in business. They just didn't have a good product. So don't go to number one and two and three. In the it's like going to the hottest girl in a club. You don't go to the hottest girl in the club. You go to the chick who got there early. She's eating all the wings. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> all right, good deal. Well, listen, uh, I'm going to end off on, on, on a final note, I guess, with Thread. Uh, so recently, a common friend of ours, Jeff Madoff, was over at our office. You know Jeff. So Jeff comes in and he, uh, you know, he's talking about uh, why we're going to go down a venture together. And it was, it was because of my hustle. He identifies and he prefaced that. He goes, he patted it. He goes, no, 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 no. Like, I don't mean that in a, you know, in a bad way. I said because of the persistency, the this, the that. And... You know, I'm a New Yorker, so I mean, everyone was basically a quote-unquote hustler in, in some sense. If you weren't doing something, I mean, you really weren't going anywhere. So um, for me, the, the word actually was pretty positive, but it made me realize, I'm like, wait a minute, maybe that's not a great way to be identified from other people's vantage point. I'm wondering, I mean, you are, you have been and you are a hustler. I am. Hard. Mm-hmm. How do you want people to reflect and write about you when you're you're no longer around, when you're leaving your legacy, how would you want to be referred to? I don't really, I don't want them to write about me. You know, any way that my daughters would say dad was, dad was okay. Dad was okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't, you know, you know, it's funny when, when, when Gary V was here, you know, and in only the way Gary V would say it, he said, listen, I am great at what I do. I am the best at what I do. I am the best. And when I die, nobody's going to give a fuck. You know, I think I think I I think I and that was what Gary would say. I don't curse like that. I'm on Disney, but I would say, yeah. You know, I just want my daughters to say, you know, like I just want my you know my daughters to say he didn't leave me, uh, you know, you know, inheritance. He left me a legacy, and that's it. Excellent. Well, uh, real quick, uh, what types of folks are you looking to connect with right now? Um, you know, whether that be business strategists, partners. Uh, what are you looking for? Um. For anyone that's listening here, might yeah, be in you the know, audience. if we were to talk about it, it would be like I said, you know, people who are uh, really established in business, they know the direction, they know they need to learn. Whether it's a sponsor, also, listen, we we have a problem either because uh, you know, bringing in people who may want to support females getting back into the work uh, into the workspace or uh, minorities who need to know a little more things because you know, we don't want to we don't want to also. Be a, we don't want to push away people that may need the information, the valuable information they may need. So what we'll do is one of the criteria of being a member here is also to help put together curriculums and or things that we can broadcast to the world to, for free to make people stronger and better. Um, that power of bro comes yeah, out every time. To, yeah, to give it back. You know, it, <laughs> yeah. it, you, know you just got to give it back. It's, just, it's, it's nothing if you don't give it back. Absolutely. I'll so. give a quick shout out then to Yin and Lisa of SheWorks as well as Dominic a start of 52 who uh, 
uh, pretty much hit right on that pulse uh, for folks that you may want to connect with. So, yeah, we're you know, listen. At the end of the day, in closing, we're at a very dangerous time in our country. You know, our uh, our our you know democracy is at risk. A lot of people are believing that somebody can save them or somebody can't save them, and it's not the truth. You know, whether it's whether it's the people that grew up in my neighborhood who used the first and the 15th welfare check to say they were going to be okay with that, whether it was the kids who said, well, I got a college degree and a $300,000 loan, and because I have a college degree, I'm going to get a great job. No, that's not going to help you. Um, or whether it's people who think that the government is going to help them. We're at a very challenging time in our lives. And none of that's going to help. And I'm not saying this to be political about who we have in, in you know, in, in, um, in charge right now. All I'm saying is that who we have in charge right now, look at where it's advantageous to you. And there will be certain spaces for different people. And look at where it's not advantageous to you and try to find out how to fix it and be in control of your own destiny. You know, I, I share the stat often that the number one job for males in this country are being a truck driver. And, and I shared it with Gary Vee. So if you know that everything's going autonomous vehicles, then what's the government going to do for you? Right? Teach you how to code? Teach you how to what? Code. They may teach you how to code, but why are you waiting for them to teach you how to code? Take I your agree. ass to the store and learn how to code. Or like many of our parents, you know our parents, how they say, I don't know about technology, social media, but they meanwhile, they'll go on Skype with the grandkids. It's beautiful, right? But yet they're getting replaced by their job because they're saying, well, I want to build a website. Well, mom, dad, learn how to build a website. Don't have somebody charge you $50,000 to learn how to build a website. You have a craft. Why don't you just sell this stuff online? Why don't you learn it? Why don't you tell us, why don't you do exactly what you used to tell us when we were kids? Take your ass to the library. <laughs> you know, it happens, right? So what I'm saying is like, you know, we're at a very dangerous time where people need to still know that no matter what, whether today, tomorrow, whoever's going to be here, they have to empower themselves. Nobody's going to hand it to them. All right, and what is, uh, what is the best way that people can connect with you, follow you on social, or any of the projects that you're involved in? Yeah, sure. You can connect with me with, um, on any of my social platforms. I'm The Shark Damon. Damon spelled like Raymond with a D. Um, and, of course, anybody can help you here, whether you want to fill out a, uh, an application or find out more about the Blueprint & Co. space at Blueprint & Co. And we're always appreciative of all the people that support us and everybody here who came out tonight who will, um, you know, hopefully go on and do bigger and better things and employ people and change people's lives. So um, we appreciate everybody. Well, thank you so much for being with us. I'm sure the crowd really appreciates you being here. And um, that was tremendous, man. Really, thank you so much. All right, everybody, that's it for this episode of Fashion Is Your Business Live. Thank you to Damon John and Blueprint & Co. And to all of you for coming. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2019. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.